once again. This is Nuance, and I'm Mike Scala, joined as always by Jay Carter, also known as Timbit. He's the chair of BLM Tokyo and the hip hop MC extraordinaire. What's going on, Jay? What's going on, Mike? Busy as uh, always, in the vacation. I think once I finish this work I'm working on, I'm gonna be out for a little bit just to clear my head. Another, uh, another overnight drive to Florida. Oh, I thought you were going to say overnight drive on, on these lawsuits, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll drive up north. Uh, I haven't been to Canada yet. Yeah, that was one of your, um, you know, vacation things was always hitting the road and just heading straight to Florida or, or D.C. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love being on the road. Well, speaking of, I was going to say speaking of driving, but I don't know if driving is the appropriate bowling analogy. It's more for golf, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But we are joined by professional bowler or soon to be professional bowler, Jeffrey Williams Masonette, who is a staple in the Rockaway community. What's going on, Jeffrey? Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me, Jay and Mike. Um, yes, again, I'm Jeffrey Williams Masonette. Um, I am currently on tour right now. We're trying to make PBA tour. When I when I say I'm on tour, I'm traveling a lot, bowling. Um, so right now, I'm busy with that. I've got a summer tour final next week. I decided to drop in. I got some time this week. I was like, let's drop in on the show. Let's, let's talk about some good stuff. I miss this stuff. It's been a while since I've been out there, you know. Yeah. Um, Remember Rockaway Primetime, too. That used to be a big thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, um, yeah, we'll say they may be making a comeback uh, really soon. Uh, but you know, we'll touch on that another time. Okay. Offline. <laughs> that sounds good. So what's going on this week, Jay? Uh, well, I'm a little sore. but. Uh... <laughs> other than that um just reading some things um ink magazine had an article about uh three daily habits that will change your life you know you know how they do the uh the, the headlines like it's gonna change your life it's gonna be the best thing ever but um they had a couple of a couple of things on here that um i thought might be kind of interesting to to take a look at to see if anyone's doing these types of things um so the first thing that they had was daily study. Um, basically that um, Steve Jobs said that uh, creativity basically is just connecting things. So it's like the more you study, the more stuff that you have to work with, the more creative you can be. So anyone- Daily study, so studying anything? Um, yeah, just to, to, to read or you know books or, or watch videos or listen to talks or anything like that that you can have a well from that you can draw from winning, you know, uh, when make doing your work or creating or anything it's trying to do. You reading or studying anything these days recently, Mike, Jeffrey? I mean, I'm studying legal documents constantly, <laughs> I'm, cases. I'm always researching cases to use in my papers. That's um, kind okay. of all lawed out at this point, but yeah, it's, it's constant. Yeah. yeah I, I literally been studying nothing but real estate and economics like crazy to pass them off, whether that's either doing YouTube, either reading about them, coming across all different articles. Um, I would say I pack myself with so much information daily. Um, I, I don't know how I keep up with all this stuff. That's what's up. That's what's up. I think all of that qualifies. You know, it, it keeps um, filling up your well of knowledge to be able to move forth with, with different things. So. Yeah, that's what's up. I think that counts. Um, and I just finished reading uh, the Tao Te Ching. Um, so trying to keep up on my reading as well. 
Uh, number two, they had reflection and journaling. Now, this is something that I never have done. I don't do. Like, I don't know many people that, that journal or I guess people do. And this is something I've always told students to do when they were trying to learn a language um, was to to journal like your day to practice in that that target language. So just even write, you know, short three, four sentences about what you did that day, even if they were very basic. It's just something to keep you you active and using the language. But in general, you guys journal. I think journaling is just going online now and ranting off Facebook or <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's a great practice. I I don't know why I don't do it. Um, I think it's, it's it's great. I mean, they always told us in school, you know, you write something five times each, your brain is going to always remember it. So it's probably good to always, you know, chop down those thoughts um, that you have. Because yeah. sometimes we always say we got our whole week planned and then we end up doing something totally opposite. Yeah, I do jot down bars for rap lyrics. I jot down jokes even though i haven't done any comedy i come up with jokes sometimes i have a note for different jokes i've come up with and things like that uh, i don't really have any journal of just random thoughts but i do keep notes on different areas that i'm working on even when it comes to a case i'll write down some ideas you know an outline or just something to kind of uh keep my mind sharp and, and focused on the case because i might switch from case to case to case when i come back to another one i want to make sure i remember what i was thinking of the uh, before Oh, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and the third one was a daily walk. So to get out of your office, to get out of your That's space, important. just to keep moving. And it's also helpful for uh, creativity because what you see in your walk and everything can stimulate uh, thoughts and creative ideas and whatnot. It's also taking a break physically. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very important. And I mentioned before, when I was studying for the bar, I read that it was important to take frequent breaks because the idea is we remember everything that happens in the beginning and the end, but not so much in the middle. Like think about a movie, a show, a song, anything like the, the, it's the primacy and the recency effect. So if you take a lot of breaks, you have more beginnings and ends and less middle. That's kind of the theory behind it. It keeps you focused. And I think it does work um, just to, get a refresher, right? It's just, you, you take a break. Um, and it's not, it's not just because you're tired of working. It's because it keeps you more focused on the work. And like you said, it could even spark an idea. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely would take long walks, uh, especially before my midterms and finals when I was in college, uh, taking those walks kind of also, I feel like it's therapeutic, you know, it kind of gives you that relaxing, that relaxing feel before you go into a test. Cause I think you would want to be relaxed and have a clear mind before going into a test because your mind will just wander off and into different spaces. Yeah. I mean, they even say like before the test, like you shouldn't really cram right up to the test. You got to give your brain a little bit of time to, to, to relax and soak that stuff in. So I thought they were interesting um, tips here. So I guess uh, even reading articles like this is kind of like uh tip number one, daily study, just to look at different things. So, yeah, for sure. And I'll say for me personally, the one I got to do more of is walking. I think I got to get out more, <laughs> see the sun more, exercise more, all that kind of stuff. I don't, these days I feel like I'm not doing enough of that because I'm just stuck inside working on, on this case, trying to meet these deadlines, you know? And you're a night owl anyway, so you definitely need some more sun. <laughs> it's true. I do work best with less distractions. And I think that 
at night, you know, people aren't calling you. It's, 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 I don't know, it's just a calmer atmosphere and I can focus more and get more done. Yeah. It's quiet too. Like there's just not a lot of things stirring and just, yeah, no, I, I get that. Completely. So, yeah. so do I. <laughs> but no, you're right. And, and, you, and you know what, on that note, I did mention on Facebook, I hired two attorneys to come in to work with the practice recently. And I've had a hard time doing that because I'm used to working on my own and being in solo practice and being responsible for everything. And I feel like I've built up this reputation and my name means something. When you start giving work to other people, you feel a little uneasy about that because you don't know if they're going to do as thorough a job as you will. And that could have an effect on your name. I think that's something that a lot of people deal with when they're trying to grow their own business. It starts off small, but then it gets to a certain point where it if you want to grow it, you can't do everything yourself anymore. You have to give tasks to other people and then you have to learn how to be a good manager. And it's a whole new set of skill sets now that you need to use. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, there's some of it you can still, you know, since you're going to be overviewing it, um, you can kind of check that that quality or, or whatnot as well. Like I said, that's kind of part of management that you kind of, kind of introduce into the mix. So. Right. I think it'll be fine. I think so. I, you know what? When I was doing it, I was nervous about the idea because I'm like, well, let me sit down and calculate this. Like if I spend every waking hour in the month of August working on all these cases myself, if I'm making the best business decision for me, then hiring other people is costing the business money. And I'm like, but then you drive yourself crazy. And then the work at a certain point can suffer as well because you, you're burnt out, like kind of relating to what we were just talking about. You're not taking care of yourself. <laughs> you can't take any breaks, right? So- that's something to consider as well. And in the long run, it's a good thing because it allows you to be in a position to take on more clients and grow and do things that you could never do just as one person. Right. Yeah. And you need that, that break um, mentally. You got to have that, you know, so. That's what's up. Have you had any kind of experience with that, Jay, when it comes to um, not even just in business or just in terms of having to give responsibilities to others and feeling nervous, like you feel like your work might be diluted somehow? Oh, absolutely. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a self, a self person as well. Like I try to do everything on my own. I try to always do things and figure things out on my own. And I think it, it comes down to also trusting. I think also you got to have trust in other people that they will get the job done. Um, I would say through my, my regular daily work that I do or for a living, um, aside from my bowling, I mean, there's times where my schedule's all over the place. I forget that I have to be at the bowling alley or I forget that, hey, you know, I got one project due at work. And then I know I have coworkers that I can lean on and be like, hey, you know, I'm going to be out the office early. Can you pick up this work for me here? I really got to get this done by the end of the day. And it's kind of like sometimes I end up staying there that extra half hour anyway, because it's just like it needs to like it's your responsibility it's it's your project your name's on it you you need to take care of this but i know like my co-workers behind me they can handle it i, I know they can yeah, yeah. i'm kind of used to it in other contexts like in politics you have a whole campaign staff you can't run a campaign by yourself you have to have people working with right. you and so I've got that kind of experience as well. I've got a political team, but I wasn't used to it in the context of my law practice because it's always been my name personally on it. And it's just been my practice. People hire me to be their lawyer. And I just kind of felt a little funny about it. But I am happy that I did it. Like as soon as I did it, I'm like, yeah, this was the right decision. It, it makes perfect sense. Well, yeah, it, it took me forever to, 
actually like get a manager because I felt like I wasn't on that level yet to have a manager with my bowling because sometimes I lose track of my finances with how much I'm putting into these tournaments, how much I'm getting back in return, um, you know, the proper orders. And then like now me having a manager now, it's like made my life so much easier. Like he will just call up and be like, hey, don't forget next Sunday, like I have my summer tour this Sunday. Hey, this Sunday, this is what's going down. And it's like, it's, it's just like such a big help now. Now I can just focus on my work. I can focus on taking care of things at home. And like you said, your overall health. And I've got to do a better job at that now. <laughs> Definitely getting out there exercising more. Yeah, for sure. And for myself, I think about if I want to be involved in these different areas, you know, I don't want to just do law all the time. I still want to do some political things. I want to do this. I want to do some music stuff and maybe other types of business. So you, you do need a team. You know, you, you can't do everything at once, be everything to everybody and not have people working <laughs> with you. It just doesn't work there's not enough hours Absolutely. in a day days in a week um but i do want to talk more about your bowling endeavors that's pretty exciting so what's going on with that uh it's, it, it's going well um this summer i kind of was off to a slow start i just came off of winning the mid-maryland championship um out here in uh in, in maryland as everybody knows right now i'm this is mostly the area of focus because i'm in the mid-atlantic division for pba so all the preliminaries are happening in Maryland, Virginia, and parts of Pennsylvania. So right now I have to be stationary here because it costs way too much money to stay in New York and do that kind of uh, do that kind of competition. Um, so it's, it's it went well. I, I won the championship, put myself on the map. I was able to beat some actual PBA bowlers at some pro ams. Um, I I'm trying my best here. You know, I'm doing with a little bit of equipment. I don't have as much money as these other guys have, uh, where they can go ahead and get a new bowling ball every week. Um, they can travel, spend like almost, I mean, travel expenses are, are outrageous. Um, you know, they can be spent anywhere to two to $5,000 a month, just going all across this country to compete. Wow. So that's something I have to prepare for. That's something I'm going to have to realize that's what I'm going to be doing really soon, especially if I start winning some of these big events. Um, so it, it, it's going well. I will say it's stressful. I did not know being a, any professional athlete, I can just imagine what these NBA and NFL guys go through where they're. <laughs> on a much larger scale than I am. And they just do all this traveling and it's making time for friends. I actually have not seen a lot of my friends in a year. Um, even after lockdown was lifted and we were able, I haven't been around so many people that I enjoy being around. Um, it's just, it, it's tough sometimes. Um, but I think it'll all pay out in the, in the end. Well, congratulations on that win. Uh, that's what's up. That's dope. Yeah, it takes a lot. He was a four. He's a four-time regional champion that I actually uh, defeated. So you know, um, it was a big deal. It, it definitely got eyebrows up. Um, I came from being a nobody to now I'm pretty much all around this region. Now everyone say, "Hey, what's up?" You know, like now my name is known. Now my face is known. <laughs> so I'm getting picked up now for all these competitions and teams. Everybody wants me to bowl for them for league season. It, it's it's chaos. <laughs> Sounds like a good type of chaos, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But sometimes it's like, guys, I just want to do my own thing. You know, everybody's like, hey, you know, I mean, every day I'm getting calls like, hey, we need you for a squad. Hey, we need you down here. Hey, we're trying. You want to make a few extra bucks? Come down here. And it's like, easy, guys. <laughs> easy. It sounds like winning a rap battle almost and making a name for yourself. Right, right. Yeah, it's, the hustle is the same, I feel. It's just, you know, we're doing different different types of professions here, but the hustle is still there. You know, the hustle remains the same. Wow. So, so this is, so you're, you're, you're on the PBA tour or you're about to join the PBA tour. 
I'm actually about to join the PBA tour. All I got to do is win some of these preliminaries coming up, and then I will. I have an official jersey because I am a member of the PBA. I have my own card and stuff, so I'm able to go ahead and, and compete with these bowlers. But now to compete on a tour event on TV is a whole nother process. Um, you know that that takes a whole lot of money, a whole lot of winning, and a and a lot of sponsors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now I'm now I'm curious because like. Um... In golf, like if you win or lose, like it's it's like a, a tiered system. Like even you can lose and still get some of the prize money. So is that similar in in bowling, or is this like winner take all? Uh, absolutely, um, it, it, it's similar to that. It depends on the type of tour. It depends on the type of tournament that you're in. Sometimes the top ten guys can get paid out cash. Sometimes it's it's as low as the top three, or even just winner takes all in some of these events. But um. Most of the preliminaries, again, you know, we're entering in with lots of money. So, of course, there's lots of money to be on the table, left to be on the table to win. So, yeah, I would say your average tournament, you, if you finish in the top 12, top 15, you're going to walk away with some cash. It may not be the same amount that you put in, but you're getting some type of return back to make it worth your time. Okay. So... On average, I say I bowl about a 120, 115, 120. Is there any future for me in, in, in the uh, arena? Could I could I win some cash? Do the you know? I, I'm the I'm the type of guy who says that you know it's not about what you can do; it's about the time that you put in. And I feel like anybody can do this sport. I mean, it's probably one of the easiest sports to pick up. It's, it's just more of like doing it. The more you do it, the more you'll, you'll get better at it. And you got to have the time, of course. Not everyone has the time I do <laughs> to, to go ahead. You know, I don't have a family or anything like that. So I can go ahead and go to as many bowling alleys as possible weekly and, and practice. But if league time, if you want to do some leagues, you can get in on that. They give you handicap pins. And um, I guess I could touch on that a little bit in a, in a few on how that works. But you get handicap pins. So you coming in with that 120 average. If you bowl a 120, that's equivalent to like a 180. And you may actually help your team out a lot. Um, so we, we, we do have levels to this, you know, but PBA is strictly what we call scratch. So the best, the highest score, the highest series put together within three or four games will decide the winner. So that was a very polite way of saying, no, your, your score is pretty trash. You don't have it. You don't have what it takes right now to make it. No, well, that's why they have handicap pins. So handicap kind of levels out the competition. So, um, again, me with the 199 average right now, um, let's say I bowl. Oh, flex. Like a... <laughs> Quick flex, I saw that. <laughs> so let's say I bowl like a 160. And trust me, I have done that before plenty of times on tour. Um, I bowl a 160, you bowl a 140, you actually would beat me. Oh, because the handicap. Based off it, yeah, based off the handicap, you would beat me. So it's one of those sports where you can't always, like, I know sports betting is a big thing now, right? So you can't really always go for the negative odds. Like, that guy can actually. Um, People really cheat, though, to make their handicap unofficially lower to give themselves a better chance? That's that's a controversial topic, but I, you, you know me, I don't shy away from those discussions. Um, yeah, uh, that's what we call dumping. Um, a lot of people don't like to be accused of dumping uh, per se, but um, yeah, you'll have a guy come in the first three weeks because the first three weeks, everybody's even. It's a 99 average. No one is established yet. First three weeks, you go out there, you bowl, and that's going to make up your average. So a lot of people know that in the back of their head. So someone like me, who's known to bowl 200 and then you see me bowling 140 on the first two weeks, you're like, this is not a bad night. 
you're, you're, you're dumping, you're, you're throwing the ball wacky on purpose. You know, they make all these accusations and then I come up and I have a 140 average. Now I'm bullet 220 every week and I'm beating everybody every week. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, that, that happens a lot in league play. Um, however, it's like hustling at the pool table, right? You used to see that thing where they, yeah. you, you walk like, in and missing all the <laughs> shots on purpose and all of a sudden I play you for money and then they're the masters. You're saying that if I come in and start bowling like a 50 for that first two weeks and then come out with my 120, then, uh, you know, I could be killing the game. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You'd be killing it. I mean, of course, your team still has to perform as well to whatever their averages are. But, I mean, you're going to be going in. I mean, you have like separate pots, too. So you could go into like what we call brackets, which is a single tournament during the week. And you can go and take some cash from other single bowlers you know, and you can walk out. There's so many ways to make money. You just got to, like like you say, you got to flex, you know, you got to kind of. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll be killing the game, but they might end up killing you after for cheating. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, right? like, yeah, yeah, like I said, my first time, my first time out here in the DMV, uh, I was, nobody knew who I was. I didn't know anybody either. And I bowled a 125 legitly. Like I legit could not figure out what was going on. I never bowled in this bowling alley before. I was a little nervous because I didn't know anybody. I didn't want to look like I sucked. Um, so I bowled a 125, and they looked at me like, yeah, this guy sucks. We all want him on our team. And then two weeks later, I'm figuring it out, and they're like, no, nah, we're going to keep you now on the team, man. Wow, you, you really can bowl. I was like, I just had to get used to the lanes, and then I got accused of dumping. They was like, yeah, right, Mr. 125 over there. He comes in two weeks later, and now he's bowling 220. And it's like, all right, guys, I'm, that was a real 125. <laughs> Well, sometimes it's like that. I think with, with anything, any sports, any game, anything, like sometimes you can have an off night. Sometimes you can have a, a, a hot night. You know, like I, I might pull uh, on average like around a 120, but I think my best game ever was like around a 190, 199 or something. And it was just a hot day, you know, and never got it again. But, <laughs> but look, you know, that you can one have day, that, that one day. It's all it takes yeah. is that one day when That's you get right. that one ninety nine, and you're you're happy for the rest of the week. You took home the bait. Yeah. You, also, you if you that. do it the once, it shows you that it can be done. You have the ability to Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. Maybe not yeah. consistently, right. but you can work to that. Then it's, it's well, you see, when 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 I did do that, it was a time where, and I guess it speaks to what Jeffrey was talking about as far as uh, practice and putting in effort. It was a time where uh, myself and two of my uncles, we were playing, we were bowling um several times a week in like this short this short time and it was just us three would go there and we were all starting to, to hit higher numbers like you know 160s and this and that and, and so it was like putting in that time constantly getting a feel for for the lane getting a feel for your your you know your bowling and it was showing in that time since then i haven't done that consistently mm -hmm. so now you know when i go and bowl it's like about a one you know 115 120 but that's with anything in life. People don't realize sometimes you see people, you think they're so talented at whatever it is that they do, but there's so many hours, so many reps they've got to put in to get to that point, to develop that talent, to become a master at what they do. Some people say it's a 10,000 hours, but whatever it is, it's just a lot of practice over the course of many years. And it kind of shows who's dedicated and who's not, because to get to the top of something, you need to put in that dedication and take it more seriously than someone who might have some talent, but isn't serious enough about it. Uh, yeah, right. I want to I want to touch on that one more time um, before we move forward. Um, and I don't know if you can see in my background, I have a trophy up there and the green is gold. That was my first trophy. And I was actually six years old. Um, 
I came first place in the junior, uh, small junior league. We used to bowl at Woodmere Lanes and in, 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 uh, right outside of uh, Queens um, in uh, Nassau County. Um, so I did put a lot of years in before I got into this point, and I'm still not even the best in the world or anything like that. So this stuff takes time, too, and I definitely go out there and tell everybody that, you know, start everybody off when they're young. Like, if you got any kids out there taking an interest in something, I don't care what sport it is, start them off young. They're only going to get better through time, and sometimes time is the greatest equalizer. Um, it's, sometimes you don't even got to have the skill right away. You develop those over time. Yeah, and and speaking to to Mike's point, um, it reminds me of a lyric uh, from Ed O.G., which is an often quoted thing, not just his lyric, but he put it in a lyric, uh, saying that um, hard work hard work beats talent when talent's not working hard. That's right. So, yeah, you know Steph Curry. I remember seeing him some games only shoot for 10, you know, 10 points. I mean, you know, he shot horribly, like three for 25 from the field. I mean, come on, that's Steph Curry. That's the greatest shooter of all time, arguably. And, and you know, he'll have a bad night. So yeah. you're not going to be great all the time, you know. So it, it evens out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's what's up. Definitely, um, you know, keep pushing on that. You get up there with uh, the Jack Nichol Jack Nicholas's. Let's go. That's the only. That's the only oh, <laughs> dang, <laughs> dang! I thought I thought I had a bowler in my head. I thought I had one. Yeah, you probably heard of like Jason Belmonte or Pete Weber. I'm pretty sure you heard of those guys. They they popped up on Sports Center every now and then. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, the Edison quote I was trying to think of. At least it's attributed to Edison. With genius is one percent inspiration, ninety nine percent perspiration. They think it's the same idea. Yeah. Someone else used that in a rap lyric too. Uh, Fort Minor, Fort Minor had a had a similar uh, a similar quote. He's like five percent five percent skill. I think that's it's it. like uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it was Fort Minor. I believe they made yeah. it. Was yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah. That was a Lincoln Park rap group, wasn't it? Well, the the, yeah. the, the lead singer from right. Lincoln Park did that. Did Fort Minor. Yeah, he did Fort Minor before he decided to, you know, stick to what he was great at. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's a source. That's kind of a sore subject with, with, with Mike, so. <laughs> you were involved in that too, Jay. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Come on, uh, you, know the, you, you know the collaboration with Jay-Z was awesome. Everybody loved that song. You know, everybody loved that album where you, where you combined the two together. Not everybody. The good ones on there. <laughs> Uh, encore, numb encore is good. Huh? Numb encore is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, yeah, that was a great one. I don't know. I thought the song that he did step up was pretty. You know, that was, it was kind of it's old school. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk about congestion pricing because oh, man, talk about talk about controversy. Here comes a sort of subject and a controversial subject for a lot of people. I had a post up on Facebook. Let's see. 79 shares. So 79 people shared my post. Uh, 120 reactions, 159 comments. Most people against it, at least in terms of the comments and the reactions that I'm receiving. Uh, if you don't know, BMTA put out this proposal that we hear is going into effect, although they're saying now that there's going to be public hearings and a comment period, uh, approval needed from the federal government. Bottom line is we think this is coming, whether we like it or not. And they're talking about $23 flat rate on the Hugh Carey Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, the Lincoln Tunnel, 
the Queensboro Bridge, the Queens Midtown Tuttle, the Williamsburg Bridge, Manhattan Bridge, and the Brooklyn Bridge, the RFK Bridge, 655 each way. And then, of course, there's a congestion zone within Manhattan uh, in the downtown, really everything south of Central Park, <laughs> Manhattan, where you're going to be told just to drive within Manhattan. And I compared it to the, the, the uh, Cross Bay Bridge because we always said that there shouldn't be a toll to drive between Queens and Queens. It was the only intra-borough toll in the whole city and it really stifled us uh, in South Queens for such a long time. Now, instead of removing the toll entirely, they're adding more intra-borough tolls so that we can't even say it's the only one anymore. And a lot of people are not happy. So, so you're saying it, it would cost $23 just to cross the bridge? That's right. Just, to cross the, just use the tunnel every time? Yep. That's insanity. Where wow, do they think people are going to come up with this money where do they think that so there's this idea that driving is a luxury and really nobody should be driving according to this idea people who are behind this say that in new york city people should be using public transportation only or riding their bicycles you hear that a lot also some people don't even want to expand public transit they just want people walking and riding bikes and they say that if you drive you have to pay a tax some people i saw in manhattan were supporting this saying it's a downward distribution of wealth people who drive their cars should have to give money to the system which will benefit people who ride the subway who don't have as much money according to this argument as people in the cars so it's a way to essentially punish drivers for driving in the city i think it's pretty that's pretty insane that's ridiculous yeah i i, I mean do they not know that majority of the people who do drive in the city happen to be middle class and live in the outer boroughs? I'm, I'm, I'm not that's, sure why. Right. They would that's a very good there. point because right. most people who believe in this kind of thing are either in Manhattan or they have that inner city type mentality. Maybe, maybe they live in Brooklyn and maybe they're, maybe they're hipsters or you know, whatever, but they ride their bikes, they walk. They don't really understand what it's like to live in South Queens or Staten Island or some parts of the city where Public transportation is not that developed and people can't ride their bicycles everywhere. I mean, I made this point also, if you're a senior, how are you going to ride a bike? Someone said that that was ageist for me to say that. I'm being realistic. Most people who are older in age, as they get older, they have a harder and harder time even walking long distances. Now you can have them ride their bike in an area where it's not like Manhattan. The whole city is not like Manhattan or very developed where your doctor is going to be on the next corner, maybe. We're talking many miles, long distances people are going to have to travel now. How are they going to do that without being able to be driven? in some place in some cases right it sounds to me like it's 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 uh and i know some people might be upset but it sounds like manhattan elitism elitism um you know they think this is this is you know manhattan and, and it's a way to keep people from coming through the way you know um freely moving about in their areas and this this increase i mean because it's going to stop people from traveling into manhattan in a certain way and look the mta you know, has a, a, a big load that they carry every day. But, you know, that system, if, if you're trying to get everybody onto that system, it's just not going to gonna operate that well. Right. And there are elected officials in certain parts of the city who say that now is not the time to expand the subway system. So we're pushing for the Queens link or the Rockway Beach line. We're saying, hey, at least give us this. They're saying, no, people are afraid to take the subways now. Let's crime up. It's not the time to invest in the subway. Instead, we should be doing open streets and making everyone run a bike. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You're not going to expand mass transit. You're going to get rid of streets. You're going to charge everyone these crazy tolls. You're doing a speed camera thing now, too, 24-7. All these taxes and tolls and penalties on drivers 
so that they won't drive anymore, but you also won't give us a better subway system. So everyone has to walk or ride their bike. I mean, it's very elitist to me. Yeah, that doesn't make any kind of sense. Like you can't take one away and then not improve the other because the other one's going to, you know, the MTA, if this went through, if this does go through, um, there will be an influx in riders on the MTA, which means already crowded lines and, and trains are going to be even more crowded. It's going to be longer waits, be more frustration. There's going to be more incidences uh, on top of that. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a little bit up my alley. Uh, before I decided to take on my bowling career, um, I was big into transportation. I was a huge advocate for it. Um, I even worked for a transportation company. I worked for NYC Ferry for two years. And I can tell you that when we implement craziness like this, it actually has a trickle-down effect. So I understand, I just want to put forward that I understand why we have congestion pricing because the influx of traffic in downtown Manhattan is outrageous. I mean, it's like almost like to the point where our infrastructure can't handle that massive volume around rush hour. Um, but I feel like there's other alternatives that we are just deciding not to visit that can correct that issue. And I just think that this is kind of like a, I don't even know how to explain it really. It's kind of like a double tax to me. I mean, I'm not trying to get super libertarian here, but it's almost like it's another tax burden it's another fee that's being put onto a city that is already struggling with a housing crisis, um, a work shortage. I mean, you know, other economic things that, that are affecting people. And um, I don't think a lot of people in New York City take for granted is that you, yes, we are one of the big mass transportation hubs in the, in the entire country. Um, however, I do think we take for granted that Sometimes it's best to drive in New York because, like you said, the congestion on, I mean, I've been on both sides of the spectrum on this. Um, transportation sometimes isn't that, that reliable for every neighborhood in New York. Um, I'm not just talking about where I come from in the Rockaways. I mean, you got Bayside, Queens. You got some people that live more north of Flushing, um, Whitestone area. They have to drive. I mean, to wait on a bus for an hour just to get to a subway, to get to work in the city, it's like, that's not logical. And Right. You know, that, that is really affecting people. That's going to affect people in a lot of different ways. I don't care what economic class you're in. That's going to that's going to change a lot of things that in, in the city going forward. I, I can't see how they can let this madness go. I, I, I don't see how that's possible. Right. There is a certain ignorance there. And I think a lot of people either don't know but they, but you just mentioned that a lot of neighborhoods don't have that kind of access to public transit, or there are some people, quite honestly, who don't care, and they kind of have contempt for people in these neighborhoods, and they say, listen, too bad, you guys are not real New Yorkers, or whatever, even though probably they, in many cases, were living in New York more than the people who were for this, but that's kind of right. how it is. It's like this, this <laughs> class battle, or this, you know, this one New York versus yeah. another New York, and it really shouldn't be us versus them. We should be, uh, I think, right. sensitive to everyone's situation and say, yeah, if you live in a certain neighborhood, then your public transit isn't developed to the point where you can just rely on that, or you're not going to just ride a bike to the grocery store or to the doctor. Like you, you, it is more spread out, and all these things have to be taken into consideration. You can't have this one size fits all approach. And you also should use, I think, a carrot and not a stick. If you want fewer cars on the road, you want more people taking public transit, then give us a better public transit system instead of punishing people for driving and not really giving them another alternative. You're just imposing right, more of a, a tax on people. Absolutely, it shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't be punitive. It should be something where it's like you said. There should be more options open up. If you want to encourage people to bike and ride, uh, to walk and take the subway make it easier for them to do that i mean it's it's that simple you know just make it much more easy 
I think also too is um, it, it's going to have to be a, a sense of uh, communities um, all across uh, New York City that's going to have to galvanize together on this because um, usually whoever's the loudest in New York City usually gets the food. Um, so the, the communities who are less quiet about this, where they know it affects, you know, this is not a lower Manhattan issue. I mean, the center of our city is is in Manhattan and everyone majority of the workforce goes to Manhattan and credit you have downtown Brooklyn that that's been massively developed for jobs and things like that but still most of those jobs that people hold in the city are in Manhattan and um like he said updating transportation systems is key but um I also think that um we need to fix a lot of the infrastructure the roads and the bridges need to be done I mean where's this money like okay justify the cost first then we can entertain the the the, the, the whole example, where is this money going to be allocated towards? Is this going to help our transportation system? Is this going to improve the tunnels? Is this going to improve the bridges? Is this going to hire? Uh, is this going to create jobs? Because then maybe I might want to just deal with the $23 toll if that's the case, because those are the things that me speaking for myself are for, you know, creating right. jobs. Listen, if, if you tell me you, you're going to take that money and use it to build the Rockaway Beach Line, I'll drive over the bridge 10 times a day. Yeah. Let's get that fun going. Perfect example. Perfect example. Uh, you gotta, you got to make improvements to the A train. you got to make improvements to the N, the W, and the R train. They have issues, too, the F train. I, I, I mean, all these trains, where is this money going to go? Um, they're not really too clear on that, but I want to bring up something that you guys may have overlooked. Uh, remember when they wanted to shut down the L train for about 18 months? to do repairs to a tunnel. You see how quickly that community was such against what was going on, not to get too political on here, but you just see how fast the chain of ladders that they climbed. Like, I mean, Andrew Cuomo got involved and said, hey, um, we're not gonna do this. We're gonna find another alternative. They were so quick to find another alternative. First, they were gonna use ferries, scrap that idea. Then they said, okay, we're gonna just bust everybody for free across. Scrap that idea. Oh, you know what? We can do we can do all the work without shutting down the line. They knew that already. <laughs> you know? They knew they could do that without going to the worst case scenario. They just wanted to see how the community was going to react to that. Absolutely. Yeah. What, they get, what they could get away with. Eric Schleier says 23 bucks for the Queensborough Bridge. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. That's, that's, and that's, that's unrealistic. That's, that's completely that's unrealistic. Think about people, especially people going into work every day. Right. That's twenty three dollars a day. Two hundred thirty. You know, what? Right. You know, well, what, what, ten times, not, not ten times, they're going in five times a week. So, you know, you're going 20 times and you multiply that by. Twenty three dollars. It's an insane number and extra expense. DJ Primetime made that point. He said he has to travel to Manhattan for work. And he said they're just adding another expense onto my job i mean it's not like i have a choice i have to drive into manhattan every once in a while for work and they're making my job more expensive yeah i mean that's that's almost another part-time job's worth of money that you're paying out thomas peter gonzalez says in what world is crazy toll pricing progressive that's actually conservative cronyism for the mta and yeah it has been sold as this progressive idea mostly because they say it's this idea of a downward distribution of wealth that drivers should be punished for having the luxury of driving and the money should go to the mta they look at that as uh, as progressive i don't think it is i think it's another example of being regressive especially when you start looking at the people who are suffering i mean you're disproportionately harming seniors how is that progressive 
Right. Not only that, it's just also you're kind of still helping that big corporate landscape. It's not like Amazon can't afford to, to drive their trucks into Manhattan for $23 uh, both ways. I, I, I'm trying to understand their logic here. That's not affecting Target. That's not affecting all these major corporations. That's going to hurt the middle class. No matter what policies, when it comes to adding fees or, or, or taxes or any type of like, I don't know, these speed cameras too is a big thing. It, it ends up hurting the people who are actually contributing to the city the most. And yeah, you're hurting right. the tax base. It, this is just this is nuts to me. I, I don't know how they can let something like this go. We had something similar here in Montgomery County, where they wanted to um, introduce a fifty dollar toll on rush hours on I two seventy. And Mike, I'm, I know you're familiar with the area a lot. I two seventy is a major corridor mm-hmm. and, and, and to the Beltway for the for the DMV area, the DC area. They proposed a fifty dollar toll to to go down I two seventy, and and then they fell flat on their faces. I mean. These people were like, we're going to take you guys out of office. County executives, governor, everybody, we're putting your feet to the wall. You can't let this happen because that's the only way to get from one part of Maryland to the other side of D.C. And you're going to just leave people with no choice to pay $50 a day on rush hour. And and that's one way, right? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. One way. Well, they said they were only going to do it one way. It was was for to get in, get into the Uh, district. So yeah, fifty dollars to go into the district, but guess what? That's where most people go to work at. A lot of us work yeah, in the district. That's yeah. Speaking of Montgomery, I actually stayed in Silver Spring for about six to eight weeks. I'm very familiar with that area. I go down there a lot, and I know some of the politicians even in the area. In fact, uh, Jay, we should probably hook him up with Idog, who does a lot of media in the area. Uh, maybe oh, yeah, yeah. want to speak to him. Uh, Isaac knows a lot of people uh, in the political landscape there too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think says more roads for cars does not equal less traffic. Even Robert Moses would admit it's good to have bike paths so that the healthy stay that way and grandma has less traffic to deal with. So he's actually a proponent of congestion pricing. Yeah, I have to disagree completely. There's, there's yeah. no $23 is an insane amount. Um, I mean, how much I, is it's the not even like here, that's a $2 fee or something. This is let's go $23. It's you know. Well, the Holland Tunnel is what thirteen dollars now to go into the city. I know it's free to leave the city, but I think I believe it's thirteen dollars now just to come into the city on a regular day, right? And they want to make it twenty-three. Twenty-three. So that's a ten-dollar increase on the tunnel. You have four major bridges along the East River that was free for God knows how long. I mean, way before I was born, and anybody here on this podcast was born. <laughs> um, yeah, and now you twenty three dollars for Queensboro Bridge. I, this is insane. What what about the Brooklyn Bridge? I'm sure they put a fee on that too. Same they? thing, twenty three. Yeah, did you realize something on that map? It's free to go across the George Washington Bridge. I just looked at that. So it looks like it's free to go into New Jersey, but thirteen seventy five to come in. Yeah, free to go. Okay, how is this progressive again? I mean, this is going to benefit people living in New Jersey more than people that live in New York City. I'll yeah, take think, the extra half hour up to Harlem. I'll take the extra half hour for free. Yeah, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but is this something that's going to go into effect? So from what we're hearing, yes, it's inevitable. There still is a process that has to happen. Right now, there's a public comment period, and the MTA is inviting people to come out and give their thoughts. They don't care what our thoughts are, let's be honest. They're going to push this through. Is this through. up to Albany, or is this up to both governments? Or is this something that's no, this, this needs approval by the federal government, actually. Wow, wow. they have jurisdiction over that? Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to be the 
I don't want to be the negative Nancy here, but um, yeah, good job. You know, good job, Feds. We we're not going to beat the Feds. It's not going to beat them. It, it's this is more than likely going to happen. They'll probably make some tweaks. Like I don't think that GWB for free is going to hold. <laughs> no way. No. They're going to keep that bridge free. No way. <laughs> Now, because then a lot of people would redirect that way, and then uh, you're going to get congestion on that bridge. You're going to get congested up in Washington Heights, and that's probably the worst place you want congestion with all those hills and, and all those skinny streets up there. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, now, I to, don't think this is thought through. Looking at the other side, I mean, you know, traffic in, in Manhattan and getting into Manhattan is pretty crazy. I know there'd be times when, when you and I might could go into the city for something, and it would just... I mean, it would seem to take like two hours just coming from Valley Stream to get into Manhattan. It was just, you know, ridiculous. Um, but, you know, there's got to be just, you know, better better driving pathways or, or more options to make it easier for people to to take mass transit or to, to walk or, you know, to bike or whatnot. It's, you know. Eric Torres in the chat says the streets in New York City need to pass annual inspection if our cars need to, as well, dealing potholes, damaging cars daily. So you want so to inspection of the streets. Let's put a couple of dollars together. Let's just find some vacant land that's that's on the other this side of the bridge and uh, put up a parking lot. So people can drive in, park there, and then hop on the train to go across. Like, yeah, you're, you're talking about parking rides. That's a big deal over here where I'm at. Um, parking yeah. rides are actually a phenomenal idea. They actually have been proven to work. I mean, there's statistics that show that people will actually, if you build parking, you make it free during rush hours, they will more than likely take the bus or the train to work. Because that's really the only reason why people drive into the city still is because well you know what it's like it's not cost effective right i'm going to pay all this money on long island railroad like you said to come from valley stream over to work in the city well if i drive it's still costing me like i mean with gas that's going to be about 40 dollars a week i got to put in my tank i could just park my car and get on long island railroad save a lot of money but yeah. i guess that's too logical i guess every empty space we have in new york we just have to build some high-rise buildings um for, for the rich to flex on us more about yeah. yeah. Shamika Narain says the city and state don't know what the hell they want to do. Something they're supposed to progress better. They're only making it worse. A lot of people complaining about the $23 flat fees. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Those East River Crossing is free. I think what people should do is is, you know, while the MTA is taking these, of course we we probably, you know, cynically think that they don't care and they probably don't, but that those complaints should be directed at, at the MTA. Um and really? And media get that into the media as well like just look this because this is this is not anything that's going to benefit the, the average person in new york you know it's it's punitive in that regard well if anyone wants to speak the mta is asking people to come forward to speak on it let's see there's going to be hearings actually several hearings uh, this Thursday, the 25th, Saturday, the 27th, Sunday, the 28th, Monday, the 29th, Tuesday, the 30th, and Wednesday, the 31st. So you can sign up to speak at any of these hearings. Yeah, well, and I wonder how... virtual hearings, too, so you can do it online. I, I wonder how these talk, companies... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Jay. No, go ahead, go ahead. I'm wondering how these companies are taking this news, because this may affect people coming back to work in the offices. I know that was a big deal going on in New York. I was hearing about them trying to get everyone back in the city to work. I know Mayor Adams has been pushing for all of this, but how, how does this benefit tourism and how does this benefit 
people from going back into the city. And this may actually hurt a lot of businesses. I wonder if anybody ever used that angle that small businesses can be affected by this tremendously. And even so corporations not being able to get people employed into their offices, that might actually move the jobs out of Manhattan and they may go over to our cousins in New Jersey. I mean, that's just a thought, you know, or they'll go to an, another borough. I mean, that, that's just nuts. I mean, there's a lot of factors in that. I think a lot of people are missing here. A lot of people on my post said it was time to leave New York City and basically just that. <laughs> go to New Jersey yeah. and move south. Or, you know, I think it is going to drive a lot of people out. I actually put yeah. the, the link in the chat. So if anyone wants to sign up, it's under this video. They can click on that link. And what it is, is it's mandatory that when they do an environmental impact statement, that there's a public comment period. So it's just part of the process. It's not the MTA just being kind and wanting to hear people's thoughts. It's part of the law that they have to do this. But we see time and time again with these projects, they do it just to say that they did it. They don't really take people's concerns into consideration. Right. Insanity. The pricing people out um, of, of New York City. In, in every way you can imagine. I want to ask about this question about ageism, because apparently it's ageist to call out ageism or to say that this is going to affect older people. I want to ask people this because my thing was in most parts or I should maybe even not even most, but in many parts of the city, it's going to be prohibitively difficult for older people to get to their appointments if they have to ride a bike or walk. I mean, I don't think that that should be a controversial thing to say, but some people, I guess, were offended by that. But I want to ask people, maybe this could be our poll question for the week. Does your grandmother personally ride her bicycle to her doctor's appointment? I want to get a sense of this because I'll tell you this. I'm almost 40 years old. I've been in several doctor's offices in my life. I've not once seen someone walk in who was a senior citizen wearing a bike helmet. I just haven't seen that. Listen, I, um, I agree with you. Um, I will say, though, out here in Japan, um, senior citizens are biking like crazy. <laughs> I sent you a couple of pictures of like some old people on bikes. It's, it's, you know, I think in the States, elderly people in the States don't move as much. And I think that's, it's not just elderly, but that's just people in general. In New York, if you're living in New York or in New York City, you're doing a lot of walking. Um, but it, it depends on where you live, even in New York City. That's the problem. Right. South Queens, right. for example, on the Rockaways. How you can tell people, and again, I don't know why this is ageist or controversial, but elderly yeah, people, elderly it's, people, you're going to tell them that they've got to ride a bicycle to Manhattan to see a specialist? I mean, come on. Right. Yeah, that's not ageist. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not ageist. It's, it's foolishness to say it's it's ageist. Because then it, then it presupposes that, okay, you're saying this because you don't think old people, elderly people can do this. So it's ages. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, there are some realities that some a lot of elderly people have mobility issues and it's not ages to, to recognize that. Right. So, and the older yeah. you get, the more mobility issues you're going to have. So if you're fortunate enough to live into your hundreds, God bless right. you. But we're going to expect someone who's 105 to ride their bicycle to the doctor. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. How would that how would that affect a Cessna ride? I know they have like a Cessna ride's a big deal out there for a lot of elderly and disabled. Um, That's a so great point, Jeff, because what I saw in a certain area of the city where I was serving with, with open streets, the Cessna ride wasn't even able to get to the buildings because they closed off the streets and they put these big potted plants in the way where you couldn't even move them if you wanted, even the fire trucks. I, saw, I talked to the fire department. They said it takes several firefighters to get out the truck and move these 
plants, which weigh a couple tons, I guess, uh, out the way. And then they got the barricade. So it's like an obstacle course just to try to get down a street. And then what you would see is delivery trucks. You would have Amazon trucks or UPS trucks kind of get as close as they could to the intersection and then get out with their package and walk. So now you got trucks blocking the path as well. There's no way emergency vehicles can get through. There's no way even accessory can get through. So seniors really can't get around. And I had this conversation with someone on my post who was saying, well, they can walk to the nearest side street and then take a cab from there. Get A lot of elderly people cannot walk that far. I don't know why people don't understand that. People in their in walkers, you can have them walk a few blocks to try to get to accessory. And then, and then you want to, you want to add an expense for them to take, you know, now they got to add a cab, a cab fare on top of everything. Like that, that seems, again, it's, it's excluding people, you know? Yeah. There's something progressive about, about leaving people out of, uh, out of, out of a certain uh, bracket of, of living. I mean, I think everyone has a right to live the life they want to live in. Uh, just because someone is older or someone's younger doesn't mean that, you know, they have to adjust to everything in life. I get it. We do as human beings have to adjust as times change and as, you know, sure. behaviors change, but there are a lot of cases and it's more than what people think. There's a lot of people out there that can't adjust to these things. And you need, I still think we need to make room for those people as well and make accommodations for those as well. I mean, it's just nonsense. If you're going to ask my grandma to walk an extra two blocks, just because you're afraid of getting hit by a car. I mean, that's nonsense. We should be improving access, not restricting access. Right, for everybody. And I agree. I mean, there are people who want to ride their bikes long distances. That's great. It's healthy. You know, there should be bike lanes where it's safe and appropriate to have them and everything. But it should be a city that works for everyone and doesn't try to pit certain types of people against others. And that's what we're doing now. It's, it's like I said, it's us versus them. And unfortunately, right. a lot of people who support this kind of stuff just have contempt for people who don't get around the same way they do. They don't like people who, who take cars. And that's a problem. And I think people just need to spend more time in other areas. Like get out your bubble. See how other parts of the city are living. See all the people who are living who aren't just like you. Not everyone is just like you. And that goes right. to case. I mean, you know, people in South Queens can see how you have a pedestrian culture in other parts of the city or a bike culture or mass transit culture. It's not the same everywhere, though. And we need to be cognizant of that reality. Right. And, and, and again, you know, if you want people to take bikes, you want people to walk, then you got to provide those avenues. Don't take away something and make it only that because then people who can't do that are restricted. Add some bike lanes, add some sidewalks. Then you have something that's options for everybody. You got a bike possibility, you got walking possibility, you got driving possibility, and then some people will do that. Yeah, I, I, I just think this is like, People need to, like you say, get out of their bubble, travel more. Um, I was also doing a lot of research, and I'm getting ready to travel to Toronto. Toronto, Canada is not that much different from New York City, and they're finding ways to make things possible for everyone. I mean, mass transit is getting expanded. They're adding more bike lanes to areas where bikes are suitable, parks, uh, major shopping hubs, things like that. And they're not, they're not removing access for anyone. They're not doing congested pricing. Um, they're not doing none of these things to improve the overall lifespan of people getting to work and just getting to their doing their daily needs, like going to the pharmacy and shopping at the supermarket. I mean, those who want to ride a bike can ride a bike freely. Those who want to take transportation can go ahead and freely do that. Those who choose to drive, well, they've made it possible in that city, and they're still improving for those who want to drive still. And I mean, I don't know why anybody would really still want to drive really when you have great transportation and a great network of bikes, um, 
how about we improve those things and maybe people won't drive? I mean, I don't want to drive. I don't think many Americans want to drive anymore because it's tiring for one. It's costly to repair these vehicles. It's costly to put the pump now. I love that I can park somewhere now where I live at. I can park and I can get on a train and go to work and come back home. It's like it's common sense to me, at least. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I think that the D.C. metro system is better than New York's. So that might be controversial to say everyone says New York has the greatest mass transit system in the world. We're behind in so many ways. We're really behind. I mean, and I talk about the Rockwood Beach line a lot because it's an issue that I work on and we don't have that north-south connectivity. We don't have that airport connectivity. I mean, in DC, the system to me was much more efficient. There were things I didn't like about it also, but they had Wi-Fi up right. in there years ago. I mean, they were just ahead of the curve compared to New York. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, Tokyo has a way better, Japan has a way better mass transit system than New York. That's that's not even a question. Um, I, I mentioned before, like even even local trains, you can take local trains only and reach one end of the country from the other in, in, in with transfers and stuff. Like that's how connected the system is. And then you go into Tokyo Metro itself, you've got, of course, you've got the trains and you've got the subways and it's just much better. It's much more efficient. It's, I mean, trains show up on the dot. It's much cleaner in, in the subways and in the train systems. It's hands down much better than, than your system. James in the chat says, my grandparents passed away, but I've never seen either of them ride a bike. So it'll be interesting to see also where people are from in the city and who's riding a bike. You know, I really am curious about that. Do elderly people tend to ride their bikes to the doctor anywhere in the city? I don't uh, see it in the uh, States. I didn't see it in the States. Just at, not even to the doctor, just in period. You know, there's not I'm not being facetious about this, Jay. And Jeffrey, someone actually said this to someone in the Rockaways at a civic meeting when they were trying to do some of these things. Someone raised his hand and said, my mother is in her 90s. I have to drive her to the doctor. And without a hint of irony, the response was she should ride her bike. That's wow. That's yeah. very insensitive. <laughs> my grandmother's in her 90s. She can't ride a bike. So yeah, that's, my, my, my mom's in her 70s and she can't ride a bike anymore. So that, that's saying right. a lot. I mean, no, yeah. I think it's an ignorant thing to say, really. It, it is elitist and, you know, arrogant. Yeah, yeah it's, it's ridiculous. So that's just that's just people wanting what they want at the end of the day. And they don't care. They just want they, they just want to have it their way. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of. What people want, it seems like, according to my poll result, at least, you might have had a different experience. The people are pretty unified in wanting to end cannabis prisoners in the U.S. They're saying if we're moving towards legalization, why should people still be locked up for nonviolent marijuana offenses? 100% on my poll. Yeah, and I agree with that 100% too. I mean, I think people that are in, that are in prison right now for, for things that happened before it was made legal, they should be let out as well if they were nonviolent uh, marijuana offenses. Um, and we shouldn't be locking people up there. Now, I think on the poll, when I had posted it, um, I had someone clarify because they were saying, yeah, they should be. And their clarification was for, for more the idea of people moving weight, you know, um, maybe not just simple possession, but someone that's trying to distribute um, large quantities that, yeah, you know, that should be, because then you, you're supposed to have a, um, a distribution card and a distribution license, and you're supposed to do it this way. If they're not, then yes, that they should be. But should that be a criminal penalty or should that be a civil penalty? 
Um, well, they were saying they should be locked up. So, you know. I'm not sure I agree with that, though I do understand that perspective, especially when you start looking at criminal enterprises, right? So if you're pushing that much weight, maybe you're funding some gangs. And that was kind of the issue that we had last week when we talked about that particular case. Right. You can see that concern, but at the same time, if we're saying that marijuana now is not something that's criminal, why right. have anyone locked up over it? I mean, if we're going to treat it like alcohol, do we lock people away for bootlegging too much alcohol? I mean, I don't really hear about that kind of thing. I, guess I don't think we hear about it. I don't think we hear about it, but isn't isn't in some places moonshining still making moonshining still illegal? I'm just talking about in places where alcohol is legal, which is most places. If you're over 21, you can drink and you can buy alcohol and all that kind of thing. If we're going to treat marijuana the same way, why are we still locking people up for marijuana when we're not doing so for people who have alcohol related offenses? I mean, obviously, if you're driving under the influence of something, I'm just talking about selling too much alcohol. I guess you need licenses. Maybe without, maybe without, you can get locked up still for it. It doesn't seem like that's a really thing that's happening, though. Yeah, I think the only thing in that regard is is if you sell it to a minor, then then there's something there. But in in general, I don't I don't think I think what we're the problem is we're still in a gray space where um, not just the law, but mentality wise on what marijuana is. Is this still this this illegal gateway? demon drug or is it just something like alcohol that you know is you know benign in, in many regards like i think we're still in that that that's gray space because a lot of people still think of marijuana and they have that old school way of thinking for for you know 70 80 years where it's like this is this vile drug that you know people are taking whereas some people are like you know it's, it's just like this natural thing that you, you puff on or whatever but yeah, so some I mean, people can't I, I, get around that. Right. I think that's I think I'm in the I'm in the generation where it's widely accepted. Um, however, I still feel like there is a lack of education on it as well. Um, as you can see in many curriculums, they're pushing like all these other things like, you know, same sex marriage and stuff like that. They're educating all these kids on these things. But I also think where the school system is falling short on now is educating them on you know, the drug use more. I think we've kind of shied away from that. I know that was a big thing in the 90s and early 2000s, but now today it kind of seems like, well, since marijuana is on its way from being legal, we don't need to talk about it no more. It's going to be okay. When the kids turn 18, they'll understand what it is, and that's like a horrible way to go about it. Um, and then you have that older generation where they remember this evil thing because it was so widely spread amongst their communities. So it, So many people in these communities were criminalized for it, um they're kind of like we don't want to i've had some older generation tell me the reason why they don't want legal marijuana is not because they're against marijuana it's just that they feel like it's a trap um i've heard crazy things like that like hey this is a trap you know this is another way of them implementing the war on drugs and, right. and, and things like this is a setup oh well it's not like many people of color or many minority groups are going to get these licenses to even benefit from these things um so right, right. Like and that's a good point also i think that's also why you have so many people against locking people up because it's disproportionately affected so all the studies show that white people and black people use marijuana at the same frequency but black people and people of color have been targeted and prosecuted for it at a much higher rate so the Absolutely. system seems inherently unfair and i think a lot of people are saying okay it's legal now let's end this misguided war on drugs and let people out who were done wrong by the system and i think and, and just even the war on drugs itself was 
very racially motivated. Like um, Nixon's uh, one of Nixon's cabinet or not cabinet, one of Nixon's staff came out and said, we specifically did this to to target minority communities, black right. specifically and minority communities. So, And then if you lock them up, they can't vote and they can win the race. Yeah, it was yeah. a political strategy back then, uh, for sure. And it also caved into the whole redlining thing that was going on during his administration as well, even before his administration, where it was another tactic to try and put a gray area into one, I mean, one red area where they would say, well, this particular area where there's mostly minorities, there's going to be drugs. And where there's drugs, there's going to be crime. And that was what they they went off of that fear for so long. And and I I do understand when people say it's time to let everyone out of jail for these things, but I'm still on edge about it in a lot of ways because now it's one thing letting people out of prison for all these years because yes, agreed. I'm agreeing on the part that they are innocent now. Now that this is legal, let them out. But there needs to be some type of program, some type of initiative first to get these guys to be able to now function in this new society because they've been locked up for this long. I mean, it's not just let them out and forgive them. What are we going to do for them now? That they're right. I think it, nonviolent, it, nonviolent offenders is where is where you know they should take that that step. You know, right. um, violent marijuana possession or, or whatever it was. Yeah. So, I just looked it up. Manufacturing or selling alcohol without the proper license is a misdemeanor in New York carrying up to one year in jail. So if it's a misdemeanor to sell alcohol without a license, maybe we should treat marijuana the same way at this point. If you're selling it without the proper authority to call it a misdemeanor, but don't make it a felony and keep people locked up for a long time. Right, right. Yeah, we gotta we gotta stop trying to just lock people up for any and everything. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't agree with that part either because um, one year in jail is pretty excessive now, even to just sell yeah, like some nutcrackers sell some nutcrackers on, on the ballwalk and you, you got to face a year in jail for that. Well, it's up to, it's up to a year because that's how a misdemeanor oh, okay. is I'm defined. sure they'll get a summings or something like yeah, that. Like a year could... and a day and up is a felony, up to a year is a misdemeanor. So they're saying it's up to a year. Most people are not going to get a full year, especially if you, you have no priors and that kind of thing. But I agree with you, there is a danger there that someone could end up in jail for a year of something that's really... Yeah, I mean, because, totally you know, we can't... Well, the reason why is that we got to be very careful with the language we use when we say, hey, you know, treat it like alcohol. It's like, OK, you do have people out there who are distributing high amounts of volume of alcohol and they're going right back to prison. So you don't want these people to be released after 20 plus years in jail. And now we're just going to throw them back in there for some minor infraction again. You know, that's where I, I kind of was like, all right, the penalty needs to be a little bit less now. Maybe this should be a summons for first time offense, second time. Even if you're pushing serious weight, though. Oh well, if you're pushing serious weight now, of course that that'll be the same as you know someone out there running the illegally alcohol thing or whatever, selling illegal alcohol like moonshine or something. Like now you're gonna you're gonna have to face some time. But I right. think a lot of that will kind of as the years go forward, they're not. It's not gonna be that profitable anymore to even be pushing that many to pushing that weight. You know what I mean? We're seeing it now. There's so much marijuana out there now. There's so much access to it in these states that it's legal in now. I mean, I don't see where exactly the pusher is going to make it's going to make that much money off this stuff. You know, they're going to end up pushing something else. <laughs> you know what's funny, uh, Jay? You mentioned rap lyrics before. Do you remember the last episode of Yo MTV Raps when they had that freestyle with all the artists? Yeah, MC everybody. Search 
began his freestyle with a line saying something like, and we're talking about, when is this, like early 90s? Was it like 92 or something like that? When was the yeah. last episode of your MTV raps? Probably, Wait, probably. yeah. Right, long time ago. He, so what, 30 years ago? He started his verse with the line, he went something like, I, I hear kids saying they want weed to be legalized. Why are you giving money to the government we're making on the side? Mm. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I think a lot of people had that argument back then, that the reason why weed was illegal was because the government didn't know how to capitalize off it. And as we can see now, that that's far from the truth now. I mean, look at all these states like Colorado and Washington who have benefited from legalization of marijuana. I mean, we're talking right. billions of tax revenue in there. So, yeah, I get his argument, but at the same time, it's like I think a lot of people need to focus on why people were selling weed during that time. People were selling weed because of economical factors. A lot of these people who were selling these things could not have access to jobs because of whatever upbringing they may have had that was unfortunate. I mean, we're talking about abuse. There's so many factors on what makes someone go out there and push weight. So I think there's economical factors that people have to acknowledge when it, when it came to these um, offenses. Sure. 95, by the way, last episode of your MTV rap. So. 94. I figured it was around that time. Yeah. 95. Okay. Okay. That's what's up. So right. in the last couple minutes here, I wanted to talk about the student loan activity that we saw because a prior episode a while ago, we had talked about the topic and what was going to happen with it. We didn't know what kind of relief was coming. So now we have some clarity on that point, right? Um, well, it's, it's some something a little bit. Biden is, is getting close to, um, is likely to announce that he's going to forgive up to $10,000 for some borrowers and is going to further extend the, the current freeze on loan payment that came out uh, during the pandemic. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's 10,000 for people making 125K or less annually um, is one of the, the proposals. And they're expecting that the freeze on loan repayment will extend to the end of the year because now it's supposed to cancel August 30th. So that's you know another six days people are gonna start you know paying them things back, but um, expecting it's going to extend to the end of the year. You see, they're just stringing us along, I think, because there's so much political pressure to cancel student debt, and it's like they don't have the courage to go that far. So they're saying, we're just going to give you a few more months of relief. And let's be honest, the midterm elections are coming up. I think it's a way to make it look like they're doing something on that, even though they're really just kicking the can down the road. Yeah, I think that's part of part of what it is. And it's, again, like you said, people are going to be, you know, in another few months, you know, they're going to be like, hey, well, what happens in December? You know, we're still not 100% um to back to the levels of pre-pandemic so you know what about that then you know we're having a job crunch we're we're having a recession right now like what what about then and ten thousand i'm sure a lot of people are gonna welcome a ten thousand dollar drop i think ultimately though my my whole issue with with the student loan thing and i have no problem with people getting student loan forgiveness or reduction and i've i've paid off my student loans so i don't have any problem with others getting that that relief I think, though, going forward, there needs to be a better plan, right? You can't just say we're going to take out loans and, and everyone's going to get forgiven forever. Because then at that point, this is just make college free. And if we can do that, that would be amazing as well. I think that would be great for the, for the country. Um, but 
in lieu of that, with the loan system, I think what needs to happen is what's really killing people is the interest on it, the interest payments. A lot of times people end up paying way more double, you know, what they, they took out on loans because interest keep, uh, keep on accruing. And when you do pay, it goes to the interest, never bringing down the principal. And so you're still accruing more and more interest. I think there should be a cap. Like if you pay, if you got a, a 6% interest on your loan, you should never pay more than 6% of that loan. You know, so then it doesn't, people aren't carrying this debt, you know, for 40, 50 years. Like, okay, you take $10,000 loan, you got 6% interest on that. You should never pay more than that. So that's, that's a, to me, that's a longer term solution than this short term. You know. And you need that. You need reforms. You need to say, okay, if you're going to forgive debt and start all over, then what? What does the system look like going forward? Are right. we saying no more student loans? Are we saying only better terms? Like you said, maybe no interest or better interest rates or a better deal. I want to see them honor public service forgiveness, which they stopped. I think they're starting to again now. You know, I want to see plans in place that don't cripple a generation of future generations of people, because that's what we've had. We've had people now based on the system, not being able to ever buy houses. You know, that's a problem and that's going to have devastating long-term effects on our economy. So something needs to be done about this. I do think it's a good thing that the relief is being extended, but I just don't think it's enough. I think it's a band-aid solution. We need something more sustainable. Right. And, and if, if you wipe out all student loans right now, everybody, millions of people be ecstatic. But what about the what about the kids that are getting ready to graduate high school and about to go to college? Like, are, are we doing it again? Are we going to wait? If the system is still there, they're going to be what about the, the people stuff. people who just paid off their loans. That's like I'm in kind of that boat myself. I'm looking at this like I've got student loan debt, but with all this talk about forgiveness and the different things that are happening, do I want to pay it all off now, only to find out tomorrow or next week it would have been forgiven and then I wouldn't be able to get that money back? I think a lot of people are in that boat too, where it's almost you know, you don't have an incentive to pay off your loans right now because you don't know what's going to happen, if they're going to be forgiven or what. Right. Yeah. And, and oh, go ahead, Jeffrey. Uh, yeah. And I think, too, um, like you said, the long term solution, Jay, is that, well, all right, we forgive everybody. We forgive all these loans. I say it's time to now implement uh, a solution to why everyone was in these loans in the first place. And I mean, the outrageous cost of going to school. Uh, the millennial in me will say, well, you know, time to invest in education, uh, but also don't mislead these people to thinking that if they go ahead and they take out all these loans and they get this degree that this is going to guarantee them a proper place. And I think this is why we had student loans in the beginning was because the theory was you're taking out this debt because later on you're going to be able to afford to take on this debt and you're going to be in a position in life where this debt is not even going to hurt you in the long run. You're going to pay this off four to five years after you're graduated because right. that's the time frame you would have to get a good job. And I, I think it doesn't matter if we clear everyone's debt today because we will be right back in the same place in the next 10 years. So yeah. the, the solution here to me is it's just make college free. And I think there's ways that we can make college free. It's just going to take someone with a lot of balls to say, well, hey, this is what we're going to be funding. This is what we're going to be using this, these funds for. We're going to reallocate this to the education budget. I feel guilty myself because talking about this because I'm someone who doesn't have student loan debt. Um, I'm a big supporter of CUNY schools. Uh, we have a great system in New York uh, where you go to school and you um, essentially someone in a low economic class like I was still am to this day, I would consider myself in a low income bracket. Um, 
we go to school for essentially nothing. I mean, I didn't come out of pocket for anything in school, and uh, I'm very fortunate of that. And it actually made my life a lot better already at this young age to experience these things that other people won't be able to do because of all that debt. Yeah, I think that's, that's another thing, too, that, um, you know, while, while they're debating this whole student loan thing, um, what students and, and college goers can, can do is to look at alternative ways to get through so they're not taking on that debt. Like you can get in first out of college, go to a community college where most community colleges are extremely affordable. And you're talking two years there, and then you only have to do two years at a university. Well, once you go to two years at a university, if you do a state school rather than a private school, you're getting even an even more affordable uh, tuition, which in some cases it can still be crazy, but it's it's going to be more affordable than a, on a private school. So right. there are ways to kind of lessen it. Um, and, you know, but again, I would agree if we could find a way to make it uh, to make it free or make it, you know, to drop those levels you know, crazy so people can go wherever and get that education. I think it's a very valuable thing um, because ultimately a, a less educated population could be seen as a national security issue. You know, you're going to have brain drain. You're going to have, you know, less innovation. It's it's very important for the country to have an educated population. Right. And I'll make this point also. We're critical of the president nowadays, but when he was the vice president, he actually called my office or his, his staff did call my office in Albany to talk about pushing a bill to make college free. It was the, we would start with free community college, called the New York Promise Program. And I actually worked very closely with the White House at the time and his staff. And he himself got on a call with us at one point to give ideas as to how we might want to get it done. They talked about how in some other states like in Tennessee, they had a wealthy Michael Bloomberg type guy who put money behind the program, you know, how we can fund a program like this to make sure that people can afford or really can get to school for free. And, uh, you know, they won't have crippling student loan debt. So it is something that I know he's been interested in for a while. And I got the pleasure of working with him directly on that in Albany. Uh, but we need to see more of it now at the national level. I think we're, as a country, we're pining for something more sustainable and serious and long-term on this issue, not just the step-by-step band-aid solution. Absolutely. I think we, uh, run to that point where uh, we might need to extend the final word, the the, the bottom line. So, yeah, um, so before we do that, Jay, tell us where they can find the show. Oh, yes. Uh, Nuance with Mike Stahl and Jay Carter. You can find it on YouTube. Search for that. We have the channel there. Please go there and subscribe, like, and share the videos, comment on everything. Also, you can hit us up in podcast form anywhere you do podcasts, which would be Spotify, Amazon, Apple, all those places. We're out there. Subscribe to those things. Join us and comment with us. So, All right. So on that note, we'd like to give our guests the last word. So Jeffrey Williams Masonette, what is the bottom line? Bottom line is um, I just want to leave off with something positive for everyone. I know things are tough out here for a lot of people right now. And um, I just want to tell everyone to uh, keep a straight head. Things will get better. Try to stay as productive as possible. Take care of whatever has to be taken care of and worry about whatever needs to be taken care of um, when, when you get to it. Um, and again, Mike, Jay, appreciate all you guys for giving me a voice here. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'll keep you guys updated offline about how everything's going with the bowling. And um, just a message out there to all the youth. Keep fighting for everything that you want in life because you never know. Um, I'm out here fighting for it. It's hard, but we're, we're going to get through it.
Well said. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for everyone tuning in and checking us out. We'll catch you all next week.